0: All right, good evening, everybody. Great to see you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for worshiping with us, whether you're in person or online. We're so glad to greet you. I also want to greet any guests who are with us this weekend. If you've got a Bible with you, I want you to go ahead and take it and turn with me to Psalm 31. Let me hear your pages turning to Psalm 31. And in just a couple of minutes here, we're going to read verses 14 through 16. So just hold that ready. As you just heard, and as you already know, this week begins a new five-week message series called Ask Me Anything. I've been a pastor for a long time, and one of the constant realities of my life is that people ask me a lot of questions about what the Bible says about a variety of different things and a variety of different issues in life. And because I am not a walking, talking Bible answer man, even though many of you think that I am— then oftentimes I will refer people to this website. We'll put the up on the screen, I think, I hope. Nope. Yeah, they're at the top. there. called gotquestions.org. You might want to write that down the next time you have a Bible question. Instead of saying, gosh, I wish I had Pastor Chris's phone number so I could text him at night at all hours of the day and talk to him all the time, then you might want to log on to that and uh, see what they have to say. I-, I looked on it this past week, and they have listed their top 20 most frequently asked Bible questions. Here's a sampling of the questions. This is not all 20. This is just a sampling. So you can kind of get the idea of the questions that people have related to the Bible. Number one, what does the Bible say about women pastors? Number two, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? Number three, what does the Bible say about tattoos? Number four, who was Cain's wife? Number five, do animals go to heaven? Number six, what happens after death? Number seven, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs? Number eight, what does the Bible say about gambling and... Bonus question, is gambling a sin? Number nine, what does the Bible say about sex before marriage? Number 10, what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? Not all of those questions found their way onto my list for this series, but several of them did. And if I'm going to be completely honest with you uh, this weekend, uh, after reading your questions, I I was left with two really strong feelings. And the first one was regret. I thought, why in the world did I decide to do this? What was I thinking? And the second one was sadness. And I would even go so far as to say profound sadness. Profound sadness because of what so many of you are facing in your daily lives. I'm not, I'm not naive in any way, shape, or form about the reality of life in this sinful, fallen, and broken world that we live in. You can go all the way back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3 and see that the minute Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned, sin, sin entered the world and changed the world. Genesis chapter 3, verses 7 through 10 say, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. This is right after they sinned. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And that had never happened before. Before that, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect community of unity with God in a perfect world that reflected the perfect nature of God. God. But when they sinned, the world changed. It changed first for Adam and Eve with regard to their relationship with God. But friends, that was just the beginning of the change because from that point on all the way until this moment in time, sin has infected every single part of this world. And that's the reason why we have so many of the questions and so many of the struggles that we face day after day after day in this life. So let's talk about the first question in this five-week message series. And I'll tell you, choosing the questions to address was not easy. So one of the things I did was I simply paid attention to questions that were asked multiple times. And so with that in mind, we're going to spend our time together in this service looking at the question, if someone commits suicide, will they go to heaven? which was a question that was asked at least in one form or another multiple times over the past several weeks. And I understand that, you understand that, because the reality of suicide is escalating in our world, it seems like, with every passing day. And so we'll be on the same page. I want to be clear about something before we begin. We're going to be talking about this question from the perspective of someone who is a Christian, someone who before their death, before they took their life, made a personal commitment to Christ. But before we go any further, I want to just pause for just a second. I want to acknowledge that I know this will be a sensitive and a painful subject for many people in our services this weekend, especially if you have struggled or you struggle with suicidal thoughts or if you've had a family member or a loved one who has taken their own life, and I want you to know before I say anything about this question that I am sensitive to that today, and that brings us to Psalm 31, and so if you've got your Bibles open there and you're able, go ahead and stand with me for the reading of the Scripture. If you don't have a Bible, I'm going to put these words on the screen. They're very brief, and they are not the text that we will use to answer the question because we'll have to look at several different passages, several different places in the Bible, together in this service, but let's just let them be a foundation for everything. And in fact, let's just read them together. Let me hear your voices as we read. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. All right, there it is. You can be seated. We always ask God's blessing on the reading and the hearing of his word. I love that phrase, my times are in your hand. And I love the words, deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me, even when that enemy sometimes can be ourselves. And so we'll hang on to those words as we begin to answer this question. I have never had suicidal thoughts in my life, but I have been up close and personal with the devastation of suicide on more occasions than I can remember. In fact, one of the things I did this past week is I sat down at my desk and I tried to make a list of all the people that I have known or all of the circumstances I've been involved in over the past 42 years where someone has taken their life. I remember when I was in my early 20s, and I planted a church in Sugarland, Texas. I was 23 years old. And uh, we had a local high school there called Kempner High School. It was a part of the Sugarland School District. And uh, for some reason, for some reason, there was a rash of suicides among high school students. It started with one tragic story and then another and then another and then another to the point, friends, where you almost got up every single day and held your breath hoping and praying that there wouldn't be another report of some young person who was taking his or her life. And it got so bad at one point that on a Sunday after church services, several pastors and several members of churches in that community, and I was one of them and members of our church were, were, were part of this, we went to the high school and we locked hands and made a prayer circle around as much of that high school as possible. We couldn't do the whole high school because it was a gigantic campus. It's a huge high school. And we just, we stayed there for over an hour just praying and crying out and pleading with God to intervene. In the lives of these teenagers who had so much to live for, but for some unknown reason had just decided that there was too much darkness and hopelessness in their lives to go on. I'm sure there were other things that motivated that, but that's what is normally at the heart of suicide. In that same church, Sandy and I had a close friendship with a couple who were older than us, who were kind of like mentors to us. And, uh, We knew them really well, and his name was Rusty, and he told me the story one day about how he had lost his father to suicide. Rusty wasn't from Texas. He actually grew up in a small town in southern Illinois called Mulberry Grove. That almost doesn't sound real, doesn't it? Mulberry Grove, and I think about him every time I drive from here to my home uh, where I grew up in Oklahoma, as we go uh, down that highway, we pass right by the exit for mulberry grove, and that 's where he grew up. His father was a committed Christian man he served as an elder in the church, but as he got older in life, he started to have multiple health problems and multiple health issues. He went through multiple surgeries, and as a result, he was on lots of different medications. And I remember Rusty telling him, me that once his father started on those medications, that it, they changed him completely, that he was, he was literally not the same man that he had been before. He was not even recognizable in an emotional sense to the people who had known him for many, many years. And one day they came home and found that he had taken his life in his garage and I'll never forget that story and uh, the connection that we had in that moment as he shared something so personal with me when I led a church in Oklahoma there were multiple times when I did the funerals for people who had taken their lives from a from a 14 year old boy who lived across the street from Sandy and I who hung himself 14 year old boy I knew their family because he had a little sister who attended our church's preschool. His mom's name was Elaine. She was divorced, and his name was Jared, and he lived part of his time with, with his mom, Elaine, and part of his time with his father, and it was when he was with his father that they came home and found that he had hung himself in uh, his bedroom in their home, and it was a devastating, devastating experience for their family. I remember one summer I got a phone call from a frantic father. I remember what day it was. It was July the eleventh. I remember that because it was my birthday. I picked up my phone and it was his name was Larry, and he was just frantic on the phone to the point where I couldn't hardly even understand what he was saying. And then when he settled down, he told me the story. They had he and his wife had a daughter, and she was just a quiet girl and just just the nicest, kindest girl, just a hardworking student and and uh, just so many good things about her. And uh, she was uh, she was like 17 years old, and she had her very first boyfriend. You know, she just didn't date much, and she had a boyfriend, and she used to bring him to church, so I would see him there, and I had asked about him and, and learned a little bit, bit about him. But she got concerned as time went by that he was overly possessive of her and the relationship and so she broke up with him uh, and that was devastating to him and unbeknownst to anybody he was stalking her from a distance and one day, this was during the summer, one day when her mom and dad went to work and she was home alone he broke into their house, he sexually assaulted her, went out in their backyard, sat down up against the house and with a handgun he took his life in their backyard. I went with the sheriff's to the home of his mom and dad to inform them of their son's death. And when we got there, I discovered that they had one other son who they had lost in a motorcycle accident almost exactly a year prior to the date. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you even imagine the emotional devastation of that, of this girl being sexually assaulted in her home And these parents losing their only remaining son was devastating. I could go on because there are other stories, but I'm going to stop right there. There's nothing shallow and there's nothing casual about this topic. So I want to be really careful in what I say. And because of that, before we go any further, I want to ask you just to bow and let's just pray for a moment. Father in heaven, we love you, and we are so grateful for your love for us, and we're so thankful to know that we are never alone, that you are always with us, that you are a God who knows us, who cares about us, who loves us. You know about the pain that we have in our lives. You know about the struggles that we deal with in our lives, and I pray as we talk about this this, this very sensitive subject from the perspective of the scriptures, not man's opinion, but from the perspective of the scriptures, I pray that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, would guide and direct us and teach us, and in the end, encourage us, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't have a clever outline for you for this message. I'm just going to try to answer this question with two questions of my own, and then... uh, we see what the Bible has to say. If you're someone who likes to take notes, I want you to write down next to number one. This first question is real simple. And the question is, does the Bible talk about suicide? Does the Bible talk about suicide? And the answer to that question is yes. It talks about it by example. And it talks about it by precept. And it talks about it by principle. And I'll explain more about what I mean by the precept and principle in just a moment. First of all, the Bible talks about six different people who... Committed suicide. I'll put a list of them on the screen with the scripture reference, but I'm not going to spend any time talking about them in detail. The first one was a man named Abimelech, and I sent the wrong spelling of that, so we'll correct that later. Abimelech, and his story is told in Judges chapter nine, verses through 55 Basically, the make a long story short, Abimelech was an evil judge that no one could seem to stop. He just did whatever he wanted, and he just spread his evil. And nobody could seem to stop him until one day during one of his conquests, a woman dropped a millstone on his head and cracked his skull. Leave it to a woman to step up and solve the problem, right? She dropped a millstone on his head and cracked his skull. And the bottom line is Abimelech did not want to be known as someone who was killed by a woman. And so he told his armor bearer to kill him. And that's exactly what his armor bearer did. And even though this wasn't suicide in the sense that he took his own life, it was suicide in the sense that he had complete power and authority over this man and told him to do what he did. And he was the reason why... Uh, he died. So in that sense, he took his own life. Number two, there's King Saul. You know who King Saul was? He was the first king of Israel. He was the father of Jonathan. He was the man who brought David into the palace after David killed Goliath. And in 1 Samuel 31, verses 3 through 5, Saul was defeated in battle. He didn't want to fall into the hands of his enemies. And so he asked his armor bearer to kill him, to take his life, to run him through with the sword. The armor bearer refused to do it. And so Saul fell on his sword. The next is King Saul's armor bearer in 1 Samuel 31, verse Verse 5, after King Saul took his life, he was so disoriented and so frightened and so unaware of what to do that he took his own life by falling on his sword as well. Next, there's a man named Ahithophel in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 23. He was a one-time companion of King David, but he his relationship with David grew sour and he became involved in David's son's Absalom's efforts to try to overthrow his father and one day when his battle advice wasn't taken he went home and hung himself next there's a man named Zimri 1st Kings chapter 16 verses 15 through 20 he was one of the most evil kings of Israel he plotted his way to power through deception and betrayal and when all of that began to catch up to him He set the palace on fire and died in the flames. And then finally, there's Judas, and he's the one that most people are familiar with, Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4. Judas was so overwhelmed with guilt and regret over betraying Jesus that he hung himself. Some people want to include the Judge Samson in this list of suicides, Uh, but while Samson took actions that clearly ended his life, if you know his story, he was a prisoner of of the Philistines. They had gouged out his eyes, they had cut his hair, and that they brought him out to a big banquet to make fun of him to make sport of him uh but his hair had begun to grow back and samson recognized his opportunity he actually prayed for god to give him the strength to do what he was going to do he asked someone to put him in a place where he could put both hands on pillars that held up the building where the people were so that in one final act of revenge he could uh bring death to the enemies of God, and that's what happened. He pushed the pillars over, and the building fell in on top of him. I I don't view that personally as a suicide. You may choose to do that because while Samson knew that he was not going to survive that, his intent was not to take his life but to take the lives of the enemies of God, and he prayed that God would give him the strength to do that. Now, beyond those specific examples of suicide, the Bible also speaks about suicide through what we call precept and principle. And I've talked to you about precept and principle before in the past. I hope you'll remember this. Uh, precept and principle uh, are, are I, I say to you, the Bible answers our questions through precept or principle. And this is the easiest way to understand the two. I, when I think of precept, I think about a stop sign uh, in that when, you, when you're driving up to a stop sign, you're supposed to what? Does everybody say it? Stop. Supposed to, supposed to. It doesn't happen very often, at least where I live. But you're supposed to. And and that's unequivocal. There's no question about what it means. And if you pulled up to a stop sign and chose, ah, eh, I'm gonna ignore this and go through it, and a policeman stops you, then you would have no defense. You couldn't say, I didn't understand. A stop sign is a precept, that's an absolute. And the Bible gives us precepts that teach us precepts are like thus saith the Lord's statements, where there's no question about what the will of God is. But the Bible also speaks to us through principle, precepts and principles. And so if a precept is like a stop sign, a principle is like driving down the road a little bit further. And you see another road sign, and this sign says drive carefully. Well, let me ask you a question. What does that mean? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? It might mean something different for you and me. It's giving us some direction. It's giving us some guidance. It's giving us some warning. It's giving us some advance notice about what might be ahead of us, and so uh, we take that into account as we drive, and the Bible is filled with precepts uh, that, that address the different issues of life, maybe not in, uh, or principles rather, maybe not in the form of a precept where there's there's no misunderstanding about what's saying, but if the Bible says, for example, um, you know, avoid all kinds of evil, it says in First Thessalonians chapter 5, avoid all evil, what does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? It might mean different things, but it's a principle that needs to guide and direct our lives, and the Bible speaks about suicide, through precept and principle. Let's start with precept, and let's just make this really simple and clear. The precept is found in the Old Testament book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, where God, where God gives Moses the sixth commandment, the sixth to the tenth, tenth commandment, which says, this is how it reads in my NIV Bible, you shall not commit murder. That's the sixth commandment. You shall not commit murder. And it's important that we read that correctly. God didn't say you shall not kill. He said you shall not Commit murder. What's the difference? Well, the difference is there can be times in life, maybe if you're defending yourself or you're defending your family or defending your country, when you may have to kill someone. There can be times in life when justice and righteousness, the reality of justice and righteousness, leads to the taking of the life of someone who has been found guilty of a horrific crime. That's not the same as murder. And all the way back in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13, God said, you shall not commit murder. Now, someone might say, well, pastor, the Ten Commandments were part of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is a part of what we call the Old Covenant. We don't live under the Old Covenant anymore. But here's the deal, friends. That command has been affirmed and repeated in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples. Maybe the best one would be in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, where Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Now, what is that? Well, that's an example of Jesus not only acknowledging and affirming the commandment not to commit murder, but also, and this is what Jesus does, raising the bar on how God feels or, uh, about the way we behave How he wants us to behave because he doesn't, when it comes to our behavior towards others, he doesn't want to focus just on our actions, but our attitudes as well. Beyond that, the affirmation of the command to not murder is also found in Paul's words in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments, do not commit murder, adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule, love your neighbor as yourself. Love, and this is, this is what Paul says, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. How about these words from Peter in First Peter chapter 4 and verse 15? Peter not only acknowledged but affirmed the command not to commit murder when he wrote, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. The bottom line is the Bible commands us not to commit murder. And suicide is murder in that it is is self-murder. It's the taking of a life, your own life, This life that God created in his own image. Now, in the passage we read just a few minutes ago from Psalm 31, the first part of verse 15, I told you I love those words. We'll put it up on the screen again. David wrote, David was the author of Psalm 31, and he said, my times are in your hands. That's what he said to God. My times are are in your hands. He went on to say, deliver me from my enemies and those who pursue me. And sometimes the enemy could be ourselves. How about these words on the screen from Job, chapter 1, verse 21. Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. And then he says, may the name of the Lord be praised. Now, any of you Old Testament students, do you know what happened right before Job spoke those words? Right before Job spoke those words, he found out that his sons and daughters had all been killed. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, or may the name of the Lord be praised. Here's one more, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 39. It won't be hard to tell who's speaking here. See now that I myself am he. Do you notice that the word he is capitalized there? There is no God, little God, little G, no God besides me, I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded and I will heal and no one can deliver out of my hand. So I'm going to say it again. By example, by precept, and by principle, the Bible speaks about suicide. And here's how I would summarize the message of the Bible about suicide. Is suicide the will of God? Everyone say no. No. Is suicide a sin? Everyone say yes. Yes. And that leads to the second and final question. If you'd like to take notes, write down next to number two. Is suicide an unpardonable sin? And I'm just going to cut to the chase, friends, and I'm going to give you the answer right from the beginning, and then I'll tell you why. Suicide is not an unpardonable sin. I really want you to take your Bibles and turn with me. I really want to hear your pages turning to the Gospel of Matthew in the 12th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew in the 12th chapter. I know I'm going to put these verses up on the screen. It'll be easy for you just to look at them on the screen. I know that not everybody likes to open up their Bible and go with me to the passages. But if you are willing, I would really like for you to do that as we look at this passage of Scripture. It's just pretty brief. The part that we're going to look at, it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 30 through 32. This is what it says. Jesus is speaking here. He said, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, remember that's Jesus' favorite expression to describe himself, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, or in other words, me, will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit... (coughs) (laughs) excuse me, will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now, having read that, let me just set this passage up for you so that we can understand it together. Just before Jesus speaks these words, a few verses before, he does a supernatural miracle and he heals a demon-possessed man who is both blind and mute. But Jesus heals him. Because remember, Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus is God in human flesh. Somebody say amen to that. We have to understand that about Jesus. He was no ordinary man. And so he heals him, and he, he casts out this demon, and now this man can see, and this man can talk. When the Pharisees, who were the chief enemies of Jesus, the religious leaders who were the chief enemies of Jesus, heard about this, they basically responded, and I'm paraphrasing now, by saying this about Jesus, he's the devil, So Jesus performs this supernatural miracle, and he casts a demon out of a man who was blind and who couldn't speak, and now he's demon-free, he can see and he can speak, and all the Pharisees can say in response is, he's the devil. I mean, literally, what they said was it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Now, here's what happens next in verses 25 through 29, Jesus, and I love this about him, exposes the stupidity of their response and then we get to the verses we just read a moment ago verses 30 through 32 if you look back at verse 31 literally look back at it on your page if you've got your bible there jesus says and so i tell you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy of the spirit will not be forgiven. Stop right there. Now, just so we're on the same page, let me ask you a question, and I want you to answer me back. How many sins and blasphemies did Jesus say would be forgiven? Every. That's what he said. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy of the Spirit will not be forgiven. He didn't leave anything out. He said every sin and blasphemy. Now, before we move on, we need to make a clarification because I want you to understand this passage. We've got to pause for a moment and understand that while under the normal circumstances, blasphemy would just fall under the category of sin as a, a certain kind of sin, in this context, Jesus treats it as if it's a separate thing as if it's separate from sin and that's why he talks about every sin and every blasphemy every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven and so here's what we need to understand that word sin repre- represents pretty much everything that you would think that it represents if i were to if i were to just uh, capture it in my own words i would just say i wrote here in my notes it represents every form of ungodly and immoral thought and action possible every sin every sin but blasphemy who Jesus is treating as or something that Jesus is treating as a uh, separate subject at least in this context would represent the conscious denouncing and rejection of God and you need to write that down somewhere in fact if I if if you were me and I was listening to me I would write that down in the margin of my Bible in Matthew chapter 12 I would write this down That Jesus separates sin and blasphemy as two separate things. And sin represents pretty much everything you think it represents. And blasphemy represents the conscious denouncing and rejecting of God. And here's why. Think about something with me. How much more? What greater level of rejection could the Pharisees have demonstrated when it came to God... Then by seeing God up close and personal in the person of Jesus who was God in human flesh and seeing God in the person of Jesus performing supernatural miracles that only God could perform and then as a result coming to this conclusion, he's the devil. What greater level of blasphemy could there be? What greater level of rejection of Jesus could there be than what they demonstrated in this text? Now look back at verse 32. Jesus goes on and he says, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, and again, you know who he's talking about, right? He's talking about himself. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And then he adds this, either in this age or in the age to come. And so basically, friends, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, you know what? You can say anything you want against me. You can say anything you want against me. You can blaspheme me until you're blue in the face and you can be forgiven. And we know that's true. We know that's true, for example, from the life of the apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, these words, even though I was once a blasphemer, And a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And then he said, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. We know that you can blaspheme Jesus and be forgiven. How about the apostle Peter? Who on the night of Jesus' arrest, blasphemed him with curses in his denial of knowing him. You read about that in Mark chapter 14 and verse 71. So even blasphemy against Jesus can be forgiven. A lot of forgiveness going on here with one exception, and that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you why. Because Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came to the world to save you and me because we're sinners. He said in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's what Jesus came into the world to do. The Bible, and I hope that you already know this, the Bible tells us that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of the reality of our sin. And it's the Holy Spirit who, once he convicts us about the reality of our sin, also draws us to Jesus. He, he, in, he In a wooing way, he draws us to Jesus and he helps us to understand the reality of salvation, our need for salvation. And so when you come to a place in your life where you say, in the face of all of this knowledge, when I, what I mean by knowledge is in the face of the reality of your sin and in the face of, of the truth that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and in the face of the truth about the convicting work of the Holy Spirit and the salvation that he, that he, he guides us to that can come through Jesus when you come to the place where you understand all of that, you hear the truth about all of that, and you, at the, in the end, your response is that you don't believe in or care about Jesus, and you completely reject the drawing and the wooing work of Christ, then that's the evidence of nothing less than determined unbelief and rejection, and there is no forgiveness for that kind of blasphemy. We get this wrong so much of the time. In fact, if I ask the question, don't, please don't raise your hand. How many of you have ever, at any time in your life, been a little bit anxious because you thought something you did might have been equal to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I wonder how many would respond. But this is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Having, a, having an up-close personal understanding of Jesus and who he is and what he offers and the work of the Holy Spirit and bringing conviction in your heart and drawing you to Christ and helping you to understand salvation, being up-close and personal with this opportunity for your life to be changed and completely rejecting it. How could there be any forgiveness for that? That is the blasphemy of of the spirit. Suicide is not an unpardonable sin. And there is no evidence in the Bible to prove that it is. I'm out of time. I'm in the red, so I need to finish quickly. There are two things I want to leave you with. Having said that, there are two things I want to leave you with related to the consequence of suicide. And we need to understand this. Number one, there is a spiritual consequence to suicide. I want you to look at these words on the screen from Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. The Hebrew writer says, and you have to go back and read this to see the context. I don't have time to tell you the context. But he says, just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Now, that word judgment there in the original language of the New Testament is a general word for judgment, and it incorporates the judgment that believers will one day face at what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. I've talked to you about this before, and so I hope that you remember this. Here's what you need to understand about the judgment seat of Christ if you're a Christian, one day you're going to stand before Jesus at a judgment that's called the judgment seat of Christ. But here's the first thing you need to understand. It will not be a judgment for sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. And why won't it be a judgment for sin? It won't be a judgment for sin because that sin, your sin and my sin has already been judged on the cross when Jesus died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. This will be a judgment that will be more like an evaluation of our lives. This will be a judgment based on how we stewarded our lives, how we stewarded the gifts that we got from God, how we stewarded our opportunities, how we steward our, stewarded our influence and on and on and on. This is what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ. And this is how Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now note this, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so, there will be a receiving of rewards at this judgment seat of Christ. But there will also be the acknowledgement of rewards not given and rewards not received. And someone who commits suicide as a Christian has cut short the life that God gave them without ever having the opportunity to realize the fullness of what God created them for. And that will lead to a consequence when it comes to what God has planned for us in that world that is to come. It'll be a loss of reward. And somebody might say, well, you know what, that's no big deal. I don't care about that. As long as I'm in heaven, I'll be good. Don't be that cavalier about it because God won't be. Here's the second thing, the second consequence. And this makes me emotional just thinking about it. Having been where I have been with people who have been left in the wake of someone's suicide, there is the devastation left behind. And if there were a stronger word that I could find to use, then I would use it. And all I can really say is that I can't find the words to describe the level of pain and anguish and questions and guilt and heartbreak and on and on and on that loved ones feel when someone takes their own life. And maybe you've been there and you know exactly what I'm talking about but it is horrific. I did a lot of reading and study this past week about this subject, most of which didn't make it into this manuscript, but I think the one thing that I did, and I promise I'll close with this, that had the greatest impact on me was I listened To Pastor Rick Warren talk about the suicide of his own son, Matthew, who took his life when he was 27 years old. Matthew had struggled, according to his father, with mental health issues pretty much most of his life. The video only lasted for 12 minutes, and it was very compelling. But equally compelling, in a different way, were the comments that came with the video. I found it on YouTube. At the time that I watched the video, there were 1,972 comments. And while many of them were thankful for the video and the things that he shared, so many of them were very, very critical of everything that he said because they reflected the deep level of depression and darkness that the listeners felt and the reality that they had no hope in their lives. That's why there are so many suicides in our country every year. In 2020, there were 45,799 suicides in the United States of America. That number increased by 30% over 2000. Over the course of 20 years, the rate of suicide has increased 30%. Suicide is the number one cause of death among young people aged 15 to 24. So let me close like this. First of all, with a word for all of us. If someone you love, someone that you know, talks about suicide, even in a joking way, you have to take it serious. You can't ignore it even to the point of simply asking them what they mean or how serious they are or some question like that, but you can't ignore any expression like that. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and truth. Galatians 6, 2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? The law of Christ is love. The law of Christ is love God and love others. That's how it can be summarized. Here's the second thing. And this would be a word to anyone struggling with emotional pain. No emotion, no matter how good or how bad, will last forever. So don't make a permanent choice based on a temporary feeling. Please, don't make that mistake. I read lots of stories of people who attempted suicide this last week. I read lots of stories, people who attempted suicide but survived. And they all, almost all of them said that uh, one second after they made that, that choice, one second after they jumped off that bridge or they did whatever it was, they almost all immediately felt regret. I'm going to put the number (laughs) for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline on the screen. And I want you to write it down, even if you don't think you could ever need it. Because maybe you wouldn't need it for you, but maybe you would need it for someone else. But I want you to write that number down. We'll leave that up there for just a moment. 1-800-273-TALK. 1-800-273-TALK, write that down. I'm also gonna put up the contact information for a powerful ministry here at Mount Pleasant Christian Church called Soul Care where we have people who are, are trained to help you deal with the emotional issues of life. Ken Jones is our Soul Care pastor. He's been with us for several years. His wife, Mary Kay, is his assistant. You can reach out and find out more about Soul Care through either one of them. Jones at mpccministry.com or M Jones at mpccministry.com. One more thing. We can never forget, any of us, that we're never alone. I'm going to put some words up on the screen, and I want you to read them with me. Let me hear your voices. Psalm 34, verse 18. Read them so I, out loud so I can hear them. Here we go. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Do you believe that? That's the kind of God that we serve. So whatever you're dealing with in your life, I want you to remember that God's grace is sufficient to meet your need. God's love and God's mercy and God's kindness are available to you. They're they're not things that we could ever earn. They're not things that we could ever deserve. But they are available to you every moment of every single day. You are never alone. I want you to pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for the time to talk about this difficult and surprisingly deeply emotional issue. Uh, I pray, Father, that it was worth our time and our study and that we will take the things that we learn to heart, whether we are someone who is struggling with emotional issues in our life perhaps have even had suicidal thoughts or we we know and love and care about somebody like that we're look, or we're looking for healing or or whatever it might be please i pray that you would would pierce our hearts with these truths and 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 i pray that you would remind us also of the the depth of your love and your grace and your mercy and we can always count on those things and the truth that we're never alone. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna stand together and sing, uh, doing things a little bit different this weekend. We're gonna sing a couple of songs here to close. If you're a prayer counselor, would you come down during the first song, the first song, and uh, if you have some kind of a need tonight, uh, we would love you to come and let somebody pray with you or pray for you. If you're struggle, if you struggling emotionally in your life, Uh, Don't worry about what anybody might think about the reason why you would step out. Just come down and let somebody pray for you. If you just got a burden, let somebody pray for you, and and we'll do that for the first song. And then once that's over, prayer counselors, unless you uh, still are praying with somebody, you can return to your seat. And then we'll just close with worship in the second song. So if you're a prayer counselor, come on down right now so you can be seen. And this is how we'll close.